Welcome back to another episode of the Montgomery Companies Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery, and today I sit down for a conversation with my good friend, Thomas Williams. Thomas is an author, coach, speaker, and former professional athlete. Thomas played his college ball at USC, and he was drafted in 2008 by the Jacksonville Jaguars. He played professional football for the Seattle Seahawks, New England Patriots, Buffalo Bills, and Carolina Panthers. In 2011, he suffered a neck injury that ended his season, and the next year, that same injury forced him to retire from his football career. Williams is now a motivational speaker, and he's traveled worldwide speaking to different corporations, athletes, and students on how to fully maximize their potential. In 2014, Thomas Williams became a published author after writing his autobiography, Permission to Dream. Joining us today is Thomas Williams, father, leader, author, speaker, and coach. It is my pleasure to have you on the podcast. Jordan, thank you so much. And of course, man, for you to be able to collaborate and as we call force multiply, let's do it, man. Let's, let's, let's definitely do it. So thank you so much for having me. Well, we're going to have a conversation about leadership, mentorship, faith, family, and developing the student athlete in life after college. I know it's one of the things that you're passionate about, Thomas's transition in sports, business, and life. And so much of the work that you're doing today transcends the world of sports, right? So you're dealing with people who have a certain identity in one area of life, and they're trying to expand that identity. I know that's been a huge part of your story and your experience, and you're so well positioned to have that conversation. But in order for our audience to understand that position, I'd love for you to give us a little bit about your background. Um, take us all the way back to childhood and tell us about the man that is Thomas Williams. Oh my goodness. Where do you want to start? You want to start on the good side or the bad side? The head or the tail is part of the quarter. We want it all, man. We're getting getting real today. We want it all. We want it all. Yeah. So originally from a small town in Northern California called Vacaville, I was raised there with my mom and my mom's boyfriend, whose name is Ron, um, from the age of five till 18, lived there. Um, Man, fell in love with sports at an early age where I would say I might have been the youngest person in the United States to learn how to throw a curveball. It's probably why I have bad elbows at 36 years old. Uh, I was a gnarly little league pitcher. Um, And then, you know, ultimately, I fell in love with the game of football at 14. So my 13, 14, my ninth grade year. And um, the funny story with that is that my coach literally recruited me and hounded me every single week during the summer. And I was like, no, nah, coach, I don't want to get hurt for baseball because I'm going to go to the major leagues and play, you know, make all this money and everything like that. He's like, that's great, but what are you going to do in the fall? Because I didn't know that baseball was just a spring sport. And so he twisted my arm and finally got me to go out and play football. And I absolutely loved it, Jordan. I mean, like I was a kid in elementary school who got kicked out of recess for being too aggressive. Uh, you know, and then I go back into school and into the classroom and the teachers are like, you're so energetic. And it's like, well, you guys took recess away from me. So, uh, I got to use my energy somewhere. Uh, but man, once I found football, I really loved it. You know, having the contact sport where you're actually applauded for, you know, the more aggressive that you are big hitter, you know, kind of was one of those guys who played for home runs in baseball and the big woo hits in football. Um, and once I found the love of football in high school and I was like, wait, professional baseball, you got to go through single A, double A, triple A, you know, major leagues. How do you get there in football? They're like, you go three years of college, go to the league. And so I'm thinking like, well, that makes sense. 
And so earn, earn a scholarship, man. Uh, USC was one of the first schools that reached out to me in, at the end of my sophomore year. Uh, went on to be a highly touted uh, and recruited individual where coaches were coming through, you know, four or five, six times a day. And I was literally like the hometown hero, uh, which felt great. Um, you know, a top 50 player in the country, a top like 15 player in California. Um, thought that I was going to have a clear cut path to go to the NFL, where obviously you and I both know that what you think and, and what actually happens are, are, are usually the story. And what usually happens for me in that situation was I got injured. Uh, USC was on the top. So they started recruiting a whole bunch of greater players than, than me. And uh, the funny story is I would, most of the time I would recruit the players who were supposed to come in and take my job. <laughs> so the coaches would tell me, Hey, make sure you get this one secure, Brian Cushing, secure Ray Maluga, secure Keith Rivers. These are all first rounders. And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing a good job. And then all of a sudden, like they show up and all of a sudden I'm second, third team on the depth chart, uh, which, you know, we're still great friends to this day, but it's like, Hey man, make sure you want to be good at your job, but sometimes you don't want to be so good that you replace yourself. Uh, and so that's what happened uh, for me, man. And, and yeah, like I said, injuries and ups and downs. And then finally had a really good senior season in college, learned that, hey, it's not what you can do. It's about the more you can do, the longer you'll stay around. And so I learned multiple positions, playing linebacker, played special teams, played fullback even. I was like, coach, I just need to get on the field so a scout can see me. And uh, got picked 155th overall in 2008 NFL draft. Played for Jacksonville, had a cup of coffee in Seattle, uh, had another quick donut in Buffalo, you know, finished up a career in Carolina, had a neck injury. And then that's what forced me to transition into becoming the man I am today. Well, man, when I think about Thomas Williams, I think about perspective and I think about humility. You've had this incredibly accomplished career in sports and now in business. But you managed to keep the right perspective and you managed to carry with you a posture of humility. I want to talk about perspective because I know there's a lot of what you learned in football that you've carried with you through life. And you tell this very interesting story about Pete Carroll and a message that he delivered to you and the team at USC. Can you walk us through that? Yeah. So I think I think all great coaches, great parents um, and, and you know, coaches in sports and then also business coaches, I think they have this ability to be able to put you in, um, bring exactly what they're talking about to you and not saying, okay, when you get there in a couple of years or when you get there to a higher level of achievement and status. And so um, I'm 18 years old and there's 23 of us in the class, guys like Reggie Bush, Lindell White. Um, you know, so many other guys, there's literally 15 of us out of the 23 played at least one year in the NFL. It was, it was insane. It was like the best of the best times that. And so he sits us, coach Carroll sits us down the first day and these are all of the freshmen. And he says, Hey guys, it's not always going to be great. It's not always going to be perfect, but it's going to be about how you look at it. It's about your perspective. And so none of us could even spell perspective probably at that time. And there might've been a couple of us that could, but none of us really could spell it. And so we're thinking about what is he getting ready to say? He said, so one day he stands up two guys. He stood up uh, a running back and he also stood up an offensive lineman. He said, okay, first guy grabs him. He walks him over in front of the group. And he says, imagine you walk into this room. It's stinky. It's smelly. And you just sit there and you think to yourself, why am I digging around in this room full of crap and you can smell it? And so imagine that it's horse manure. He said, all right, great. What are you thinking? He's like, coach, I'm thinking to myself, why in the world do you have me playing in this room full of crap? 
He's like, great. Next person brings up now coach Carroll, because we didn't understand perspective. He talks for the individual. He said, so now this is person number two. Person number one said, you got me in this crappy room. It smells like crap. Why are you wasting my time? Why did you bring me in here? Person number two, he goes, I'm going to talk for you. He said, person number two, you're excited. You're infectious. You're, you're, you're overzealous with emotions because you're like, wow, there is all this crap. There is all this poop in this room. There's got to be a pony somewhere. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, this is the exact thing what we're going to have. He said, some of us are going to walk through this four or five year experience like person number one. Coach isn't playing me. I should be getting more playing time. They don't never throw me the ball. They're hating on me. Person number two, man, I am excited to be on USC's football team. What do I have to do to earn my spot? What do I have to do to serve my other teammates? What do I need to do to get better? How can I help us with our ultimate goal, which is to win the Pac-10 championship? And it was Pac-10 at the time. And so what I learned from that is that it's not about what's happening. It's about how do you look at what's happening and then how can you insert yourself to be part of the solution inside mm. of what's happening. And it's funny you mentioned, mentioned that story because I had, again, Coach Norton in college, who's now the defensive coordinator in Seattle. <coughs> he had all the one-liners who were perfect, very similar to perspective. Like Pete had a really good job, uh, uh, an eye for talent acquisition and same thing he did with his coaches. And so Coach, Cor Coach Norton was the exact same way. And so Coach Norton one time, I was like, Coach, I'm not playing as much as I want to. I'm whining. I'm, 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 number per, I'm person number one in that situation. I walk into this room full of poop and I'm like, this sucks. And so he's like, what do you mean? I said, I should be getting more reps. These other guys are getting 20, 30 reps of practice. I'm only getting 10. Why? And then you guys want to put me second or third string on the depth chart and I'm not getting as many chances. He stopped to let me know, hey, I hear you. I feel you. And he said, well, you know, the greats, they don't count the reps. They make the reps count. Mm. And then he took it and he flipped it all the way on me, Jordan. And I was thinking to myself, he's absolutely right. I don't count. I, I, I have no control mm -hmm. over the reps, the opportunities that I get. But what I have control of is what am I going to do with everything that I get? You can sit there and say, well, coach, I only had 10 reps. So, of course, it's easy for me to mess up on six of them. Well, or you can say, coach, you're giving me 10 reps. I'm going to do everything I possibly can with every single one. Because I don't control how many reps you give me, but I control exactly what I do with the reps. So both of those stories with perspective, you know, obviously it helped me in my athletic career. And it's things that I love to teach and share with not only the athletes that I work with, but, you know, people who aren't athletes as well, because uh, perspective is available to all of us. I think it's the difference, man, between being a responsibility-centered leader and a reward-centered leader, you know? Like you show up, Thomas, as a responsibility-centered leader, right? And when you got to the NFL, or even when you know, you, some of the stuff you're doing in business, right? It's like, hey, I have an opportunity. This is a responsibility, right? Like I treat this as a burden, you know? I, I've been entrusted with this opportunity and I wanna make good on it, right? I think that's your spirit today. And I love your humility in sharing that you had to learn that over time. I think we all do, right? But I think when you're young, it's easy to say, hey man, I've made it, I've arrived. Like I deserve this, I'm gonna get what's mine, you know? Like I worked hard for this. No, you have to take that mindset. You have to take yeah. that mindset and keep grinding and keep climbing and keep going. Um, because if if you don't, yeah, you might arrive, but you'll be tomorrow's news or you'll be yesterday's news trying to live tomorrow's lifestyle. And for us, like that's not going to help us, especially people like you and I. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, how can I continue to grow? How can I continue to develop? Because if 
football was all I was ever supposed to be, then I mean, the best part of my life is behind me. And I don't believe that. And so because I don't believe it, it's like I want to put, you know, my money where my mouth is and I want to actually live that way. I want to I want to live those actions. And mm. it's, it's just how I live, man. It's, it's who I am. I appreciate that about you, man. I think uh, it's Inky Johnson who said how you view what you do determines how you do what you do. You know, and I, I love that you view your role um, as a leader with a, with a deep sense of responsibility, right? It's a burden. You've been entrusted with it and you want to make good on it. So let's talk about um, the, the process, right? Perspective drives process. Process drives performance. I want to talk about the process. So you have this great career in the NFL, right? I mean, you, you hung around a while. Uh, the average shelf life of an NFL athlete is not that long these days. You far exceeded the shelf life. But then you transition in, into a life of being a businessman, right? And being a father and being a family man. Talk to us about the transition and part of what you learned in going from having, you know, this NFL career and identity and being an athlete to now that's gone and you have to reshape how you do what you do and why you do what you do. Man, that's that's such a uh, it's such a loaded question. And I feel like we could spend the whole 40 minutes on it. I think first and foremost is you know, there's some transferable skills that will help you, right? So I was at the top of a business of $14 billion a year entity, which is the NFL. And so some of those transferable skills can help you succeed in life. There's others that I had to kill, that I had to literally kill parts of me, um, the football player, in order to be a successful businessman, to be a successful father, a family man, uh, a leader of a household, and as far as, you know, one of the people uh, leading in the community, and one of the things I had to do first is Ronnie Lott gave me this great piece of advice inside of before I stepped into the NFL. He said, Thomas, every single year you go into that meeting room for the first time, become a rookie again. And I was thinking to yourself, what do you mean? He goes, I played, you know, double digit years. And every year I threw out my old playbook and I got a new one. And it was a brand new spiral notebook and it was fresh. And I always took notes like I was doing it for the first time. And so I could understand it, what he meant in football, especially during my first year. I didn't know anything. Now, my second, third, fourth, and fifth year, I started to get a little bit ahead of myself where I didn't, I didn't eat as much humble pie as I do now is uh, something that, that I should have done. Um, but when I got done playing, I knew that I knew how to get to the top of the athletic world, but I didn't know anything about business. I didn't know anything about uh balance sheets. I didn't know a thing about P&Ls. I didn't know really even how to write an email and a professional email. Like I'm just talking about like the minor smallest things. And so I took that advice, what he said, and I started going back to being a rookie again. And I started asking the veterans. So just like I would ask the veterans in a football field, like, how did you know it was running pass? Oh, you got to look at, you know, the tight end, look at the offensive lineman, look at, you know, this formation. There were certain little idiosyncrasies that you could check out that would give away, you know, what the offense and opponent was going to do. So the same thing I wanted to do when I got outside. So I asked business, you know, people, men and women, hey, how do I, how do I get a client? What is it that I need to do as far as the follow-up? And what, what I learned is that inside of those things is that I was starting to find out everything, what people did to be successful, and then also what people weren't willing to do to stay and remain successful. And so that was one of the first things, hey, kill the old me, the stuff that doesn't work, throw it out. It's kind of like saying, you know, chew up the watermelon, spit out the seed. So if it doesn't work, mm. throw it out. If, mm. it, if it sticks, you know what, then we need to use that. Good. Same thing for me with as far as being family. I'm an only child. So one, I, I don't grow. I didn't grow up learning to share. So I'll give you a funny story is right now. Uh, it, it happens. It happens probably every other day. 
And um, like I'll make dinner and I'll bring food over for the family and I will literally grab one fork. Now I brought both, I brought both plates. Everyone's eating, but I only brought one fork. Why? Because I only thought about myself. That's subconscious. That is ingrained in me. That is my default. And so I need to reprogram. Hey, once you're, you know, now you're living for two, for three and plus. And so it was part of that of like, I'm the only star of the show. When I played football, I was the star of the show. Hey, coach, mm. I need to get in the training room. I need to get in the weight room. Hey, family, you guys need to wait for me so that I can make sure that everybody gets to the game. I'm the one with the money. I'm the one. I'm, 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 I'm. Oh, this isn't a one party situation anymore. This is multiple mm. people. And so mm. now I not have to think about myself. I have to think about the others who I'm responsible for. And so football, I was responsible for me because we're all subcontracted out. In the NFL, yes, we're all working towards the common goal, but it's just really one. If I get cut and you're on the team, you're still playing the next week. You don't stop because I got cut. So that was something that I had to learn as well. And then I would say another thing I really had to learn is that, Thomas, you know what? It's okay to say you don't know. Where in sports, it's never okay to say you don't know. Coach says, Did you, do you, does that understand? Does everybody understand it? Did you get it? Yeah, I got it, coach. And then all of a sudden, you know, you reach over to your buddy next to you, you go, hey, what does that mean? Or what's that play? What are we, what are we doing? And right. I, I didn't have that. When I got done playing, mm. one of the things that was difficult for me to say is let people know, hey, I need some help. I'm in transition. I used to be an athlete. Uh, now I'm trying to figure it out where it was. No, no, I got it. I got it. Yeah, I know what I'm doing, which I noticed that it hurt me at the beginning of my career because then it didn't give people an opportunity to step into my world. And to mm. literally help me. And it also let people know that, oh, this guy, he hasn't figured out. He's already put together. Nobody can help him. And it's like the old quote saying, you know, you want to go fast, you go alone. You want to go far, you go together. And that's a, something that took me a little while as well. And I think the family aspect of, of my life, filling mm. that void um, and speaking with my fiance and saying, hey, I need some help on this. And like, oh, I'm still the father. I'm still the man of the household. I'm still her, her favorite man on this planet. Um, it doesn't make me less. It actually makes me more, right? And it includes as opposed to segregates and keeps everything separate. Well, I love what you just said about being in a secondary position, right? Because you think about the greatest leaders in the world. You know, I think about Jesus, right? Jesus led from the position of secondary, you know? Yeah. He counted yeah. other people ahead of himself. And, and that actually allowed him to have true influence, right? And, and he was maybe the most impactful leader of all time because he led as a responsibility-centered leader from a position of, I am second. And I just see that, man. I, show, I, I see that showing up in the way that you interact with people and communicate with people and the way that you lead. And I love what you said, and I wanna underscore this. You talked about asking for help. You know, I'm not too good to ask for help. So many of us were not asking for help enough regardless of our success. You know, I, today I coach with Dave Meltzer and he's become a good friend, CEO of one of the largest sports firms in the country. And he says, hey, one of my daily disciplines is just asking for help. Yeah. You know, I'm not too good. Like, so he's asking guys like Roger Goodell and Mark Cuban, like, hey, I'm, I'm trying to get better. What more can I do? You know, yeah. could you help me? And I think sometimes pride gets in the way. Um, I want to talk a little bit about faith because I know you're a man of faith. We have a lot of people listening that would also consider themselves to be people of faith. I wanna talk about how your faith has informed your journey and more importantly, how it affects your work today. Wow, that's a, uh, I think giving the, the, 
the conversation a little bit of context. Um, so I didn't grow up as, as a person of faith. How I got to becoming a, a faith-led man is because I graduated. So I, when I graduated high school at 18, um, my dad, who wasn't in my life early on, and now we're, we're, we're close, like as ever, like almost as if nothing happened, which was which is crazy because God, maybe I wanted my dad to be there when I wanted him to be there and he wasn't, but he was there when I needed him to be here, which is amazing. And so mm-hmm. my dad, um, the dad graduated, my dad was, so we lived on the East Coast and he had a rental car and hotel and whole nine when he came out. And so at the end of my graduation party, he said, hey, I'm getting ready to leave. Walk me out to my car. So in my mind, I'm starting to rub my hands together like, oh, he's going to hand me the keys to a car. This is my graduation gift, right? So we walked to the car. He had a PT Cruiser white one as a rental. Like, oh, man, maybe he's going to give me the keys to this. Or maybe he's going to give me like $1,000, something big. So he goes to the back and uh, his back seat and he grabs a Bible and he hands it to me. I'm like, what is, what is this? Is the, is the money in there? He said, this book right here is going to be able to motivate you and give you strength the way that I cannot. I like, Dude, this is, I'm like, whoa, I don't even read. First off, I don't even read. Like what now this book has like 15,000 pages in it. It's like, and you think this is going to give me power? Like, where's the money? Where's the car? Where's the stuff? And um, so I didn't transition into kind of becoming, to start to become a believer until fast forward a couple of months, I'm in the dog days of training camp and I need some help. I mean, not only I'm getting yelled at for the first time athletically, like I'm, I'm tired. I'm not figuring it out. I have no direction, no focus, no center, nothing. And so the, uh, the team pastor comes to me and says, Hey man, why don't you come check us out tonight at Bible study? I'm like, um, I don't know, man, I'd rather get my sleep and study my playbook. He said, well, if you come to a Bible study, I guarantee it will give you more rest and more peace than any amount of sleep you can get. And I'm like, man, at this point, I need, I need all the help I can get. Sure, I'll come. <laughs> so I went and I started to, to I started to this exploration in this relationship with, with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so fast forward all the way till now. So that's been 18 years uh, on this walk where every single year God's showing me where he is. Um, even though I automatically assume where the last place I saw God is where he is. Um, and, and I mean, even being a father right now, I'm probably the most confident and insecure at the same time that I've ever been in my entire life. I'm, I'm responsible, not for just me, for a fiance, for a daughter. And I don't know, because in sports, one of the greatest things was for me to be able to learn from either examples of other people. So you watch film or the examples of yourself. I didn't have the example growing up of, of a father or a husband. I don't know what it's quote unquote supposed to look like. So my greatest confidence comes from seeing it done in repetition as an mm-hmm. athlete. That's the athlete mindset that I have. And so now I'm put into a place where almost every single day and every single nuance is, is new, it's fresh. And so I literally have to depend on the one who created me and saying, okay, God, if you knew that everything that happened in my life was for a purpose, for a reason, you created it and you allowed it then that means that you have to have the answers, which means if you have the answers, then I need to ask you the questions. I don't need to ask my father the questions. I don't need to ask other fathers. I can, I can ask them, Hey, how do you do this? Jordan, how do you, how do you do this with your wife? How do you, how do you do this with your children? Like, you know, as far as counsel, but as far as real true guidance and direction, it comes from God. And it's, it's a, it's something that I do personally. It's something that I do professionally. Um, and obviously spiritually, it's the first person I talk to in the morning, God, okay, what do you want me to do today? Ask him three questions. What do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to touch, sir, and lead? And then how is it that I can make you proud? 
because the only thing I wish to hear during every single day, okay, okay God, doing this, what I did today, am I going to hear well done, good and faithful servant? And that's, that's really it. And, and the thing about it is really cool is, man, God shows up to me in so many ways now, as opposed to, I only thought he showed up in church or in the Bible where now I'm saying, God, how can you show me? God shows me things every single day. Like I understand what the scripture means where it says, walk through the world like a child and have a child's like just this, this naivete of it. And I see it in my daughter of, wow, why can't I be that curious or that observant or that amazed with life? And so, man, if, if, um, if I could say anything and share something with the listeners is that God will always show you where he is now, as opposed to where the last time I saw him, Oh, that was God. God's like, no, 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 no. I'm here. I keep getting better, but I can only show you to the level of your understanding, which to his and to mine, it's so minuscule. You strike me as a guy who is uh, insanely grateful, but equally dissatisfied, you know, and that's a good way to live, man. It's good to be grateful and, and equally dissatisfied, right? There's more work to do, but you carry a posture of gratitude. And so you've got this awesome background, right? You have the spirit of the Lord. Uh, it, Christ is in you. You believe in Jesus and you also have an intense desire to grow and get better. So um, I want to talk about the work you're doing today, right? As you, as you carry with you the spirit of the Lord, this intense desire to grow and get better with this impressive background and all of this learning and education, how does that inform the work that you're doing today? And then let's get real about the work you're doing today. Uh, please tell our listeners about what Thomas Williams is doing today. Yeah, that's, that's such a great question. I think first and foremost, um, every single step along my journey. So in high school, I had a great high school coach who said, you'll never be able to pay me back. The only thing I need you to do is pay it forward. Same thing in college. In the NFL, I had some really good coaches. I have a phenomenal mentor now by the name of John Gordon, who has a servant heart. I mean, everything is about what can he do? And so his leadership um, is sprinkled on, on all of his team and I'm part of his team. And so it's, what can I do to serve? How can I serve? How can I develop? And so whether it's the, the work that I do at USC as an adjunct professor serving the student athletes. And so one of the, the, primary focuses of, of the work that I'm doing is how can I help an athlete transition to the next level of play and also transition out of sports. And so there's, there's that focus. Another thing that I'm doing a lot of, cause right now, especially due to the pandemic is the power of positive leadership and the power of positive teams. And so that's a, a program in a book from John Gordon. And so there's a lot of organizations who are needing it right now. And so they've been reaching out like crazy and asking how is it that can we get our team and our employees and the people who are inside of our organization motivated again, back off the back on the vision? How can we weed out the negativity that has some way found its way kind of in the cracks, people being remote? How mm. can we disconnect from the home life, the pandemic, and then get again, refocus and recentralize on the mission, where we're going and how we're going to get there? And so uh, a lot of the work that I've been doing is, is helping the organi organizations get back to the vision, you know, keeping the main thing, the main thing. Um, and then uh, some of the other work that I'm doing is, oh yeah. So I have a program called greater than your Jersey and uh, greater mm -hmm. than your Jersey is, is something that God really put in my heart during the pandemic. When I read in, uh, in the news that fall sports football in particular, were going to get canceled because of the pandemic. And so I was watching the news and God put in my heart and said, you need to help players who can't perform. And I was like, well, if they can't play, then their life is over what we think. And God's like, no, 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 they're greater than their Jersey. You, this is your message. This is what you're supposed to teach them. So uh, I've had three cohorts now 
and uh, we did webinars, cohorts about, um, so it's a six week program. It's on identity, transferable skills, confidence, where to get it, how to get more of it. The failure syndrome, which is one of the biggest factors right now for, I guess the next generation is that if you can shift your perspective on failure, get a greater understanding and value of failure, then uh, it will help you perform better. And then ultimately the transition for outside of sports, man. So uh, I'm, I'm full. And I would say that right now, God is able to use me more than he's ever been able to use me before. Um, because I, I'll, and I'll, I'll share this story with, with you is that I remember when I got done playing, I went to church, I got done playing on a Thursday. It was training camp 2012. And I went to church on Sunday and I was driving to church, which was about a 40 minute drive at the time. And I was just praying to God, okay, God, like, give me a sign, give me a word, give me something. Let me know that I'm not crazy that I stepped away from a game that I've always thought I was supposed to do. And so I walked in the doors of the church, Porter Ranch, which is in, um, it's in Porter Ranch, it's Shepherd of the Hills, about 40 minutes outside of LA. And the first thing I heard from the worship team was my chains are gone and now I'm free. And I was like, oh my gosh, we got something. We got something here. And uh, I'm sitting down and I'm just praying, praying, praying. Like, God, please, okay, I, I, you have my undivided attention. Show it to me. Give it to me. And he said, you thought football was your purpose, but it was your passion, which is going to lead you to your purpose. And from there, I was like, wow, you mean to tell me I thought my life was only this big, even though it felt like it was this big. And you're telling me now you're going to show me my purpose. I, wait, wait, wasn't that my purpose? It's like, no, no, no. That's what was going to get you to your purpose. So that's what gave me a platform. You know, um, people bring me in. They want to hear, you know, the talks about what was it like to play for Belichick and Coach Carroll and win national championships? What's Tom Brady like? But inside of that is there's a message. And just like what you do, there's always a message inside of a story. And whether it's something that you knew or something that you learned, but you're supposed to teach from both places, what you knew and what you learned. That is so good, man. And I, I want our listeners to hear that again. You said you thought football was your purpose, but it was actually your passion, yeah. which then drives your purpose. There it is. Right? That's so good. That's so good. That's beautiful, man. Well, listen, man, I, I appreciate your humility. I appreciate your spirit. I love your energy. I love the way that you connect with people. Um, I truly believe, Thomas, like you consider other people ahead of yourself. And I know that you had to learn that over time. I love that you shed light on your background as a, as a kid without siblings, you know, having to learn that in, in the home, but then also learning that through the world of sports and now learning that and applying it through your journey in business. Um, I want to ask you a big question before we sign off. When you think about legacy and the way that you want to be remembered, what do you think about? Oh, man. Um, again, changed again. So recently at the beginning of this year, I wrote that down. And, um, so I've been off social media completely since December 31st, 2019 was my last post intentionally because I started to do more for the world than I was doing for the people who knew me. I was doing more for the world. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted Jordan. I wanted Jordan's listeners. I wanted Jordan's followers to think more of me than my family did. And um, getting ready to enter into a new stage of fatherhood, getting engaged, I said, if, if, if the people who live with me don't think more of me than the people who just spend an hour with me, 
then I'm doing something wrong. So I asked myself the question and I, I think, well, I think God asked me the question, are you doing it for the grant grind? Or are you doing it for the gram? Like, are you doing it for the lifestyle, mm. for the work that's actually called, are you doing it for the show? And I couldn't answer that question. Actually, I think I did answer the question and that's why I probably got off. <laughs> um, and so I've rephrased and, and reframed my perspective of my legacy and my legacy right now and what I'm working for every single day is I want my fiance Angelica to look at me and go, that's my man. That's mm. my man right there. And I want my daughter Bradley to go, that's my superhero. That's my superhero. And not in a uh, hubris way and not in a way to think that I'm, I'm God, but in a way to say, if I'm not going to do it for them, I'm darn sure not going to do it for the world because it's, it's more important for me to live um, in a, in a hero's spotlight in their eyes than it is for anybody who's just going to see me uh, for an hour in a speaking engagement. If they're going to read one of my books, like, that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything to me anymore. It's, and I, and I really got that from, I was listening to a thing of Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan was having an interview and it was, you know, within the last couple of years. And the guy asked him, said, Hey, Mike, you're everyone else's superhero. Kids buy your shoes because they want to play basketball. Like you, you know, you ask anybody around the world, who's your hero, Michael Jordan, without a doubt. They, he said, Mike, who's yours. And literally without even thinking about it for two seconds, Jordan, he said, my dad, like, and, and it was like, wow, that, that little fire in me of like, I don't want to be my next door neighbor's hero. I want to be the people who are in my house. I want to be their hero. And so that's really given me the perspective of, hey, whatever the people in the world think of me is one thing. I, okay, that's fine. I need to go to two people every single night, Angelica and Bradley, and then go to God. Hey, is it, is it, am I getting a well done, good and faithful servant? And if those answers line up, then I'm okay with that. I just, I literally watched the emotion in your face and your energy change as we just shared that conversation. Yeah. And the essence of what you just said was, I want to be respected most by people that know me the best. Yeah. And I commend you on your decision to get off social media and do it for the grind and not for the gram and do it for the people that you love, man. So I love that answer uh, about legacy and the way that you want to be remembered. Where can people find you today? If people want to find Thomas Williams, they want to engage with you because you're not active on the gram, at least at the moment, right? Where can they find you and interact with you? Yeah, so uh, the website, which is thomasrwilliams.com. It's Thomas R, R for my middle name, which is Ray, williams.com. Um, yeah, and tap in, let's connect. Let's stay connected. Um, one thing else I would also say is that you'll be able to find me on, on different podcasts. So this year alone in 2021, the goal is to get on 52 different podcasts uh, because in the past it was either 40 to 60 speaking engagements in a year. That's what I would average. And since things aren't open up yet, I'm not able to travel like I would normally. Uh, and so I will uh, reach as many people as I possibly can from the comforts of an office uh, or, or a cell phone, whatever it is, uh, and being able to tap in like that. So obviously this podcast and uh, check out some of the others that I'll be on. Awesome, man. Well, we'll have a bunch of people that are checking you out. And if you want to know more about Thomas or you want to try to check Thomas out and you can't get a hold of this guy, talk to me and I'll put you in touch. Uh, Thomas, man, thank you for the awesome conversation today. Thanks for sharing your heart. Thanks for being authentic and real and staying true to who you are. I appreciate you, man. I'm thankful for our friendship. God bless you and your future, brother. Jordan, thank you so much, man. God bless you too.
This has been another episode of the Montgomery Companies Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery, and we want to send a special thank you again to our friend Thomas Williams for taking the time to invest in the people that we love and care about today. Also want to send a thank you to John Choate, our producer at Storyline Multimedia, for all that you do to make our podcast episodes go. Finally, if you listen to the podcast today, we would love it if you would like, share, and subscribe in an effort for us to move our mission forward. 